many would consider Maulana Bashani to be um, a strangely misplaced figure in an intellectual history seminar, simply because, um, you see, he didn't really produce ideas as such. There are no sort of tracks, um, huge, sort of large number of tracks under his name. Um, the only track that, or only text that he was meant to have produced was Mao um, Tung Deshe in the country of Mao Zedong. And even that was a bit suspect. We, we don't, we're not entirely sure if he wrote it. Um, so, yeah, perhaps today's talk is, is it's going to be a social and political history of Bashani's ideas, but um, I'll, I'll sort of explain why Bashani is important in an intellectual history seminar. I mean, I do think Bashani is one of the figures that, one of the people that cuts an all-Pakistan figure in sort of post-1947. There is, I mean, because he carries weight in East and West Pakistan, Bashani is the founder of one of the most successful national parties other than Muslim League. And he's, um, and he's remembered today. He's remembered, and if you go into social media, Twitter, um, Facebook, you'll see people from Pakistan commenting as much as people from Bangladesh. So, but, I mean, there's that of him cutting an all-Pakistan figure, of which I think the only equivalence would be Suharadi, perhaps. Um, and also the fact that he outlasts most of the sort of Figures of his, um, his the contemporary of his contemporaries, Jinnah, um, Liaquat Ali, Ayub, Mujib himself. So, so there is something. I mean, there is there's a reason why I'm here, and I'll give you, <laughs> I'll give you a, a sense of how Bashani um, produces idea. Um, this is a a two minute clip from um, a week before March the 25th. So Operation Searchlight. And this is a peasant assembly that's taking sort of part, um, yeah, place in the center of Dhaka. So, yeah, let's just play this. Get this words. Okay. Bashani is doing it. You have the red caps here. 
at the background somewhere in one of the buildings you have this huge scrolling of demand north bengal province you have red caps you have sticks and you have the scrollings of demand in north bengal province a week before um the war is about to begin so there there's a secessionist movement that's happening within a larger secessionist movement and this speaks to what bashani was about there's ideas that are being produced through practices and these are the practices that i will be talking about today i'll be talking about the 60s my sort of focuses on the 60s where bashani is this declining figure he's you know this this story should be really about mujib it should be about mujib and the centrality of the six point demand but no it's about bashani on 6th of december 1968 as the sun disappeared from the darker skies The 80-odd years old Maulana Bashani sat down on the cool marble floor of the recently built Beitul Mukarram, the new central mosque to break his fast. It had been a long day, beginning with a speech at a 30,000-strong assembly organized by his party, the National Awami Party, followed by a procession and encircling of the much-reviled Governor Munaym Khan's house, which had led to hostile police confrontations. Comrade Salim a trade union leader of rickshaw wo- auto rickshaw workers and a bashani murid interrupted his iftar and asked the maulana for his support a nationwide strike was announced for the next day a worried and taken aback saradindu dastidar nap and a commun- communist worker in chiragong called up maulana bashani his conversation was as follows quote you've called a hartal so suddenly you did not even leave an opportunity for publicity How can a hartal work like this? The Maulana asked me, do you understand anything? I said, what is there to understand here? Maulana angrily retorted, do you keep khabar, news of what's in people's minds, Bapu? Go on, go, go on hartal. The hartal will happen. Having said that, without waiting for me to respond, he put the receiver down. The Maulana would be right. Over the next few days, protests rocked the political capital and the other major cities and towns front front page headlines read transport strike in dhaka affray between public and police and explosion in east bengal this signaled the start of the 1968-69 to 69 mass uprising against ayub's demonstration administration in the eastern wing the protest may have begun in the west wing but it was the strength and ferocity of mass mobilization and resistance in east pakistan that sounded the death knell for president ayub's rule in march 1969 this was evident in the increasingly desperate tenor that ayub's diary took over in the weeks before his resignation especially over the deterioration of law and order in the eastern province on the 7th of march ayub wrote of marauding gangs of communist gangs of communists and terrorists who on the instructions of Maulana Bashani were spreading terror throughout the province by the 21st of March 1969 a gloomy ayub noted that the situation in east pakistan was very dark the pa- this paper complicates our understanding of activities in east pakistan during the 1968-69 mass uprising by examining the following set of questions how was it that Maulana bashani the leader of a decimated and broken nap and a sidelined figure in the 1960s had known of the mutinous feelings that waged in people's hearts and minds what exactly was it that bashani had known and who were these people that bashani had kept khabar on and how did he do it bashani's role in 1969 had come as a surprise especially after what happened to be a long spell of indifference in action if not even an ignominious 
role for most parts of Ayub's rule. Bashani's deliberate turn to the left in 1957 with the formation of NAP certainly alienated him from his former party and followers, the Awami League. But it was his visit to China in 1963 that opened the floodgates of accusations, even from within his own party. Bashani was not oblivious to the fallout that his two-month-long visit to China caused. In Mao Zedonger Deshe, the only track that Bashani was supposed to have written, he stated, my China trip, quote, my China trip upset a lot of my friends. A lot of them would have been happy if I went to the US instead of China. I have such friends who would have garlanded me had I rejected my China invitation. I knew all that they thought, for, yet I went to China. His lukewarm response, end of quote, his lukewarm response to Fatima Jinnah's candidacy in the 1965 presidential elections and si silence on Ayub's repressive regime after his return raised suspicions that the Maulana had surrendered his revolutionary credentials and made a deal with the president. Opposition leaders unhesitatingly declared him a government collaborator. According to Lal Khan, as attacks piled and Nat broke off into factions, Bashani retired to his modest boathouse dwelling, from which he never came out again. Badr Uddin Umar, one of the few historians to have worked extensively on East Pakistan, described Bashani's return to, political, to the political capital in 1968-69 as a furious turn after a fairly long run of passive support for the regime. Challenging the historiographical consensus, I, agree, I argue that Bashani's actions during the 1968-69 uprising was not a sudden about turn or a change of heart towards the Ayub regime. Lal Khan was right to say that the Bashani had retreated into um, in the 1960s, but it was only from the metropolis. If we follow Bashani into the rural heartlands, the chores, and the borders of North Bengal over this period, we find a different story altogether. A radical subaltern pedagogy was at work. Maulana Bashani as the teacher and the sharecroppers, chore dwellers as his students. His socialist buyer, the oath of allegiance, the red cap peasant assemblies, the language of have-nots and commune building exercises rep represented efforts to educate, organize and mobilize his constituencies to bring up about a form of Islamic socialism or at least prepare the way for it. Islamic socialism was held as the antithesis to imperialist depredations which Bashani and Nap had identified as key obstacles to Pakistan's freedom and sovereignty. Now the language of well, the idea of Islamic socialism was not new or original by the, I mean, by the 1950s, it was the dominant poli political discourse across, across large swaths of Middle East, Asia, and Africa, with many political formations capturing state power on the basis of such agendas. Humayun Ansari and Kasim Zaman trace the genealogies of socialist thought within the Indo-Muslim milieu to a much earlier period. Humayun to Muslim intellectuals active during the Khilafat movement and Kasim Zaman to the intellectual legacy of Shah Waliullah, whose thoughts on socio-economic justice, he claimed, influenced several members of the Diobandi ulama, such as Ubaidullah Sindhi, Hifzal Rahman, Sahari, and Papawzai, and their work with peasants. However, as valuable as their work is in a field that has yet to be tilled properly, Islamic socialism remains this abstract conception, worked out on paper, or echoed in the private chambers to select audiences. By contrast, Bashani's activities shed insight to how on-the-ground socialism, Islamic socialism, was being worked out and how the relationship between text and practice was mediated at the lower social levels. Why do I describe Bashani's activities as subaltern pedagogy? 
These were public and mass-based activities, engaged in bringing the world of Marxism and Islam in a dialogical relationship and based on praxis, that simultaneous practice of action-reflection. Gyananda Pandey's work on North Indian Jalahas show how the intellectual life of these classes were built into the daily labour of these communities by asking the peasant to wear red skull caps, to bear sticks, to sign buyers. Bashani was too inviting people to reflect as they acted. For the purposes of time, I, I'll focus on the socialist buyer and the language of the Sharbahara, the ha have-nots that were employed before. But before I do so, I want to explain why North Bengal became the base of Bashani's political activities over this period. The answer partly lies in Bashani's deep familiarity with the landscape, going back to his childhood. More so, however, was that the North Bengal, which had long suffered from food shortages, high-rise prices, high rise prices, poor communication, governmental neglect, experienced distress even more acutely so over this period. This region was heavily scarred from periodic floods, cyclones and other nat natural disasters that it experienced, which destroyed crops, drove up prices of essential goods and down, um, and the and down the prices of crops in the markets and left many families homeless, sick or even dead. The land question acquired a particular prominence over this period under these circumstances. <coughs> the Master Survey of Agriculture of 1963 and 64 um, revealed that the acute problem of land pressure that revealed the acute problem of land pressure that the households face. The average size of rural agricultural land holding was 2.5 acres, out of which only 1.51 acres belonged to the cultivators themselves, and the rest was acquired on rented land. The growing number of landless Households caused senior economist Rahman Suban to issue a stark warning to the government. This is a potentially explosive class who can tear down whatever edifice of reform and progress that is constructed in the rural areas if they continue to be left outside. It was under these circumstances that Bashani offered the peasants of North Bengal a model that primarily spoke to their material and spiritual emancipation and made them central to its realization. One of, this way, one of the ways this was done was the modification, if not complete, innovation that Bashani introduced in his relationship with the Murids, his followers are students of North Bengal, and that is particularly through the buyer, the oath of allegiance. Bashani offered the Murids their own distinctive brand of drawing closer to God. The buyer was now printed in a check-like format with a counterfoil of the Murids oath alongside his signature kept as receipt, had demanded the usual articles of belief in God, prophet, and the spiritual lineage, but also belief in socialism. The buyer stated, there is only one path to the freedom of all people from all forms of oppression, socialism, and I will, and I will till my last breath work to establish it. I will participate in the volunteer call of the Krishok Shamiti, the Peasant Association, to eradicate the foundations of capitalism, feudalism, bribery, corruption, and other social ills from the country. The socialist buyer brought ideas of freedom, social justice, and equality from two different intellectual, social, and political worlds into a conversation with each other. It pruned them of all that was abstract, difficult, and exclusive, and made them efficient and effective outside their political circles. It had made a Marxist out of a Murid and a Murid out of the Marxist. Their common purpose was not only made both their common purpose not only made both groups acceptable to each other, but also endowed both with an equal standing and the right to enter into the same spaces and use the language of the other. With the Marxist workers of Knapp and Krishok Shamiti 
more frequently present at religious gatherings and mosques collecting money, the murid was to find his world equally transformed during this period. With a belief in socialism now naturalized into an article of faith, the murid's search for that deeper connection with Bashani and God was to be found in his engagement with the external world of political activism, as much as the internal world. Burhan Muruddin, a murid and a peasant cultivator from Tangail, who had dropped out of primary education in the course of performing his spiritual duties, did not only become a firm advocate of anti-imperialism, but was to be arrested over five times for his Krishok Shamiti activities. These presents, whether recruited as murids or by Marxist workers, were to find their different pledges, were to find that their different pledges had an equal bind, both in terms of content and form. It was no coincidence that the buyer had resembled the subscription form of the Krishok Shamiti. The representation of the buyer in this very modern secular form was intended to give it the very to give it the same weight of authority that other paper transactions had come to acquire in the life of the peasant. The rent receipt from the state or the Jodhudar and the loan receipt from the local uh, sorry, the rent receipt from the state or the Jodhudar and the loan receipts from the local Mahajan. In the same way that the Bashani said that the peasant who paid to become a member of the Krishok Shamiti would remember it for the rest of his life because of its effect on his material existence, the buyer was intended to have a similar association, if not a stronger one. Amongst the few written documents that a peasant was to accumulate in his life, the buyer stood as the remainder of what was needed for a freer and more fulfilling spiritual and material existence. So the second intervention that I'll discuss is Bashani's introduction of new ideas, language, and vocabularies in assemblies and gatherings intended to impart to the present and workers a sense of their own power and dynamism. Bashani introduced his constituents to their new selves over this period. He called them the Shorbahara, the have-nots. Though Shorbahara itself is not a new term and regularly used in the Marxist lexicon to refer to the proletariat class, Bashani opened it to incorporate wider and different histories, futures and icons, both sacred and profane, the Sharbahara for him constitutes a class that was not defined by what they lacked, but by their ubiquitous presence across different times, geographies, and civilizations, possessing the power to change the course of history. Bashani, in his 1964 speech at Pabna, clearly defined who the Sharbahara were. Theirs was a rich lineage, from the Bani Israelis in ancient Egypt to the followers of Prophet Saleh in the land of Thamud, who had battled the class of big people who had appropriated arable land and conspired to take people's livelihood from them. However, it was not just in religious times that the Sharbahara were to be found. For Bashani, they were the Sicilian slaves who had revolted against the Roman Empire, and the Russian, European, and Asian peasants and workers of the modern age who had freed their countries from the oppressive class and permanently and established a completely free and oppressive-less society. Their more immediate ancestors had fought against the Hindu Zamindars and Muslim Bachas, and the Wahhabi, Farezi, Indio, the Nankar, and the Dibaga movements. As he concluded his history lesson, Bashani explained the value of it to the peasants. You are not as weak as you quote, you are not as weak as you think you are. Actually, you are not weak at all. In, in the face of your united strength, no government, however powerful it is, is obliged to bow his head. End of quote. The Sharbahara found their own champions and heroes contained within these narratives, as varied as Mao and Abu Dar al Ghifari, a companion of the Prophet and someone strikingly more significant in Shia than Sunni historiographies. Abu Dar described as a nonconformist for his banishment by the fourth caliph Uthman due to his outspoken attack on the Muawiyah, 
for the misuse of public funds and the maldistribution of wealth acquired special attention in Bashani's account, who saw in the defiance of Abu Dhar a sanction for peasant and workers to resist even the Muslim rulers or even the state itself on in- issues of injustice and oppression. On 30th November 1967, at the NAP Special Convention in Rangpur, Bashani's emphasis on the role that Sharbahara were to play spint- splintered the already strained party. He said, I firmly believe that the only group that can provide successful leadership to today to our anti-imperialist and democratic leadership is the Sharbahara class. No other cla- class. No other class. NAP is the only party that has accepted the program for the freedom of the peasants and workers. That is the hard-working Sharbahara class. NAP cannot nullify its program and be the tail to the program of another party. When a slighted Kazi Mohiddin declared NAP as the Sharbahara party with a declared NAP as the Sharbahara party with a Sharbahara program holding little value for any other class, he intended his words to shed light on why he had resigned from Bashani's NAP to help form the pro-Moscow NAP. What the resignation actually signalled was that Bashani had succeeded, at least in his own rhetoric, to project the peasants and workers as constituting a well-defined and powerful class who were capable of representing their interests and prepared to play an instrumental, if not a leading role, to bring about fundamental changes to state and society. Thus, while Bashani's muted public and pronouncements and attitude towards the Ayub regime contributed towards his diminishing importance in the political scene of Dhaka, Bashani's activities, particularly in North Bengal, suggest a different story altogether. His attempts to create a more powerful, organised and conscious constituencies through the introduction of the radical subaltern pedagogy were less, actually less placatory and more defiant in their attitude to the regime. The British certainly seemed to think so. The, uh, the British certainly seemed to think that Ayub had got it wrong when he described the Awami League as extremists in 1967. The High Commissioner wrote, the true extremists so far in East Pakistan are the National Awami Party. It is NAP which really aims to be the party of protest. The results of his efforts empowering the rural peasantry of North Bengal would be seen in March 1969. On the 13th of March, the roundtable talks drew to a hasty conclusion only after a couple of days with an agreement on two points, universal adult franchise and federal parliamentary government. Mujib, who had pulled out from the coalition afterwards, pointed to the betrayal of opposition leaders on the issue of provincial autonomy. Hamidul Haq Chaudhry, present at the talks, refused such a charge. He said, Mujib seemed to be more concerned with heading off Bashani from leading the mass upsurge and take the position of becoming the sole power. But Bashani was nowhere in East Pakistan. He was on tour in West Pakistan. Mujib had actually gone off to head off had actually gone back to head off the escalation and encroachment of violence and protests from North Bengal that had threatened to derail his power base and bring into question his authority and highlight that of others such as Bashani. It was in light of this threat that the Awami League in coalition with other parties such as NAP, um, NAP Moscow worked to barricade the cities from the violence that massed around and outside their borders. The barbarians were to be left at the gates of the city. Whilst it cannot be said for certain as to whether the peasants had been mo- made to mobilise during the 1968-99 on account of Bashani's work, it can certainly be said that the Awami League and their constituency was not ready for the social levelling that Bashani's support and pedagogy had promised. Thank you. Thank you.